Welcome back to the Great Western Woods. So carrying on a little from my last podcast, I'm going to talk about animals today. Now here in Britain, we are a famous nation of animal lovers. It's estimated that 12 million British households have pets. That's almost half. There are more than 11 million cats and almost 9 million dogs. Our pet market is one of the largest in the whole of Europe. We spend a lot of money on our pets, pampering them, spoiling them, buying them expensive toys when they're more than happy to simply play with the box. Kind of like kids, but that's another story. So in our house, we have a cat and a turtle, and we're also planning on getting a small brood of hens. Now, the cat, she's my domain. She does actually love my husband more than she loves me, but despite that, I still do all the cat care. I do the feeding, the grooming, the opening of the back door 85 million times a day. The turtle, however, is very much my husband's job. I'm more of a cute and cuddly pet lover. I don't really understand pets that you can't cuddle, but saying that, I am quite fond of our little turtle. He has totally grown on me but I still won't pick him up because I'm too scared of those jaws and claws. You know, just like the cat has. But she's fluffy, so she's not scary. And the hens, well, I'll happily eat any eggs they produce. I will not be touching them. The beaks, the feet, all that flapping. No, thank you. I will not be ruling that roost. Yeah, they do kind of freak me out. So, what has this all got to do with world building? So far, all we've learned is that I'm not too keen on getting up close and personal with any animal that's not covered in an abundance of fluff. But I promise, I do actually have a point. And my point is that we view different animals in different ways. No one is ever going to raise an eyebrow if they come into your house to find a cat lounging on the back of your sofa or a dog stretched out on the floor. Even a snake wrapped around your hand won't have have you marked out as some kind of crazy person. But if you had, say, a litter of pigs curled up with you in the evening, you'd be quickly labelled as something of an eccentric because we consider some animals to be pets and others not. By and large, we can separate animals into three distinct groups. Domestic animals, which covers pets and working animals, animals that we eat, and wild animals. Now, the distinction between them varies greatly from culture to culture. There are countries in the world that eat animals that we might feel completely nauseated at the thought of eating. And likewise, our distinction between different animals would cause confusion or even outrage in other cultures. And so whether you see pigs as a tasty meal or a loving pet or an animal to just completely be avoided, it depends very much on your cultural background. Of course, like anything, these distinctions aren't set in stone. People can change their minds about things and they'll differ from person to person within the same culture. So across Europe, people commonly eat carp. 
In the UK, they're seen as more of a sporting animal and eating one might be akin to eating maybe a racehorse. I personally wouldn't have an issue with eating carp, but I know people who would be outraged at the thought. And even if you stray outside of the cultural norms that you grew up in, if you take in a wild fox as a pet or you become vegan or you eat horse meat, you're still aware that you're living an alternative lifestyle within the bounds of your culture. So you can deviate for sure, but you're still aware that you're deviating. And there's one more distinction of animal that I've not actually discussed yet. And that is animal as deity. Let's open that up to a very, very broad term. So animals who are revered, respected, considered sacred, not necessarily worshipped as actual gods. Hinduism is an obvious example in that they view cows as a sacred symbol of life, although they deeply respect all animals and view none of them as a potential food source. Another obvious example is the ancient Egyptian culture that held cats in the highest esteem. But throughout history and throughout the world, almost every animal you can think of has been idolised by someone. Bears, whales, tigers, dogs, birds, reptiles, almost every animal has had its time on the pedestal. And that brings us to the question I am always telling you to keep asking. Why? Why do we worship certain animals? In most of the examples of zoolatry, of worshipping animals, the animal is revered because that culture or religion has a god or a goddess in that particular animal form. But why is that? Why would we, as humans, create our gods in animal form? Well, there are several reasons that people might do this. People respect animal abilities and traits, the strength of the bear, the cunning of the fox, the boldness of the lion. We personify them with human traits that we admire, traits we wished we had ourselves. And so they become revered for those traits. And while some of them are actual physical traits, like the eyesight of a hawk or the sensitive hearing of a wolf. See, those are just physical facts. They, they just are. Many more of those traits are, they're more imagined or perceived traits. But either way, the animals become the embodiment of either personality or physical traits that we as humans aspire to. Or, and always bear this in mind, Traits that the leaders of any society would like their subjects to aspire to. Or certain animals may be revered because they are vital to the lives of the people. Whether they are animals they use for food or for work, they respect and revere the animals that they can't live without. It makes total sense. If you elevate their status, they're treated well, they're looked after and managed properly. An animal may also be elevated because pe people are afraid of it. So we waltz around the planet these days pretending that we're at the top of the food chain. We're not. There are a lot of things that can and will kill and eat us. 
In our natural state, without guns or armour or so on, we're pretty easy targets. If you live in the middle of a city, you might not have too many animals to be afraid of on a general day-to-day -day basis. But if you live in a shack at the edge of a forest filled with wolves, it's quite handy to treat the wolf with respect and to teach your children to do the same. In basic terms, it just helps to keep us alive. In the same way that fairy tales were once used as genuine warnings to protect our children from dangers, so too can stories of the animals around them protect them too. And giving them a sense of reverence or fear can quite literally be a matter of life or death. So don't ignore animals in your world. They're around everywhere, be they urban foxes or migrating geese or stampeding elephants. They're there. So think about them. And the reason I've been thinking about animals lately is because I'm currently working my way through Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials series. If you haven't read them or seen the movie The Golden Compass, they're set in a world where every human has an accompanying demon, which is like their soul, but in animal form. And I have some questions about it, largely because my brain is kind of silly and asks silly questions and thinks silly thoughts sometimes. But it is relevant, so bear with me. So, these animal demons take forms of different animals. These animals tend to be a reflection of the human's personality or status. It did get me wondering about the possibility of social mobility, though. You see, in the books, all servants have dog demons, so they're either unable to ever rise above servant status, or, if they ever did, everyone would always know where they started in life. It seems a little harsh, but there you are. Anyway, it was a thought, and it's not been answered in the books so far. Silly as it may be, people will have similar silly thoughts about your own world building. But anyway, that wasn't actually the point I was trying to make, so let's get back on track here. The point I wanted to make was this. As I said, the demons take on the shape of various animals, including domestic animals. And real animals exist in this world too. We meet polar bears, there are mentions of birds, and they eat meat. So there are obviously animals. Plus, they know what a dog or a cat is, so I would assume these exist too in order for demons to take on their shape. Because otherwise, the human with the first ever cat demon would be wondering what the hell animal it was meant to be, right? But if you had your own cat demon, a talking cat, joined to your very soul, empathetic to your every emotion, would you also have a real-life pet cat? One that looked at you with disdain and regarded you as little more than an idiotic inconvenience. And don't get me wrong, I am a total cat lover. But if you have ever owned a cat, you'll know exactly what I mean. But no one in the book seems to have a pet as well as a demon. So where are all the cats and dogs? There's no mention of the streets being overrun with stray animals, but no one seems to keep them as pets either minus the sled dogs, which are more working animals than pets. We all know how quickly cat populations can get out of control from, you know, all those posters encouraging us to spay and neuter our pets. 
but where are they all in this world? Again, you might put these rambling thoughts down to nothing more than silliness, and you're absolutely right, it is, but it's the kind of silliness people will ponder about your world, and when they find a loose thread to pull, some of them will pull until they've unraveled the whole thing. I do have a few more questions about that world, but no, nah, they're not really suitable. So, there are lots of different roles that animals can play in your world, from being main characters themselves to being nothing more than an item on the menu, but they need to be considered. They play an important role in the lives of humans in so many different ways, and more importantly, they are a vital component of the ecosystem. Because when an animal becomes extinct, and I actually read somewhere that humans have caused the extinction of more species than when the dinosaurs died out, but you might want to fact check that. Um, it affects everything above and below it in the food chain. Its main diet may become too numerous, be that flora or fauna, and its main predator may become endangered. And it goes back to that ripple effect that I'm always banging on about. When you change one thing in the world, it has an impact on everything else. So, be they pests or deities, animals have a huge role to play in our lives and they should be a big consideration in your world building. Friend or foe, food or feeder, hunted or hunter. And when you start to bring in things like dragons or unicorns or other mythical beasts and monsters, things can get even more fun. Seriously, I recently had a full conversation with a stranger at a literary convention about whether centaurs would wear their trousers on their forelegs or their hind legs, or if they'd wear something more like a baby grow. Then, of course, there's the question of how they'd actually put clothes on in the first place. And I'll leave you with that little joy of a thought to ponder. Answers on a postcard, please.